As you know, we've been doing a we started a series through the summer in the book of Proverbs, and uh, last week Dominic Cole shared with us some stuff on uh, on uh, the power of words, which was wonderful. If you've missed that, you can catch up with it on our website. Um, but today, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Catherine. Now, Catherine and I go back uh, about three years, I think it is now, and uh, you can come up if you like. Are you bursting with nervous energy? Come on. <laughs> um, Catherine, you, you may have, you may recognize Catherine. She came a few weeks ago to give a notice about uh, WTC, Westminster Theological Center. I believe three of our people are, have signed up to study with them this year, which is fantastic. Uh, Catherine and I studied together. Um, and uh, she has a real great story to tell. It's not an easy story, um, but I can absolutely vouch for having uh, lived with, well, not lived with, literally, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, that's all coming out wrong. Yeah. Um, I can I can really vouch for having uh, spent quite a bit of time with Catherine and a little bit with uh, John, her husband, as they've walked through a very difficult circumstance. I really wanted you to get to hear her story. It's a real privilege to hear about pushing into God, and it fits in with our Proverbs theme of trusting God at all times. So shall I just pray? And then um, over to you. So Father, we thank you for Catherine. We thank you for the gift that you've given her to speak and to share and to teach. And we thank you for the story that she's been through. And uh, we thank you that she's got a word for us today. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear, really hear. You would open our hearts and Holy Spirit, you'd speak to us. Through your daughter, through our sister, we pray for her to be empowered by your spirit to, to share with us today. Amen. Amen. Go for it. Thank you, Nigel. I'm just going to get myself set up with a timer because um, I want to honour you by not talking too long. Um, it's a real privilege to be with you all this morning and I want to say thank you to Nigel and Joe for giving me this opportunity to come and share with you. I have just spent an amazing three days up in Harrogate at the European Leaders Advance Conference with um, the Bethel team. Yes, it was it was awesome. Awesome is the right word, actually. Um, really exciting and challenging. Uh, but one of the key messages I took away from uh, Bill Johnson's talks is that it's absolutely fine to start every talk with fluff <laughs> that um, may or may not have anything to do with what I'm about to say. So uh, as all good uh, preachers do these days, my first port of call when I was preparing this talk is to go to Google and uh, see what I can find on Google linked to trust. Uh, so I found this, and as a scientist, it amused me. <laughs> and um, I also found myself thinking back to my, um, my church youth group days, but also uh, for any of you who've done team building at work, when we think about trust, I generally tend to think about that hideous game that you all have to play where you have to fall back into someone's arms and trust that they're going to catch you. And um, don't worry, I'm not going to ask anyone to do it with me. Um, but again, in a trawl through the internet, um, I found this video. And close your eyes and just fall down, okay? Okay, then Lauren's going to catch you. Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready, set, go. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. It just it amused me and, and I and as I thought about it I thought actually I think sometimes that's how we think about God and our relationship with God that we have to trust him but um he's not gonna catch us. <laughs> but uh it 
yeah, it just amused me. So having been to the internet, I then went to the dictionary to find out what the dictionary definition of trust is. And the Oxford Dictionary defines it this way. It defines it as a firm belief in the reliability, truth or ability of someone or something. Trust is fundamental to life. For example, John and I trusted this morning that when we got in my car and turned it on this morning, that it would work and that it would get us down here. But more importantly, trust is a basic requirement of any relationship. George MacDonald, who was a Scottish author and minister, and someone that C.S. Lewis described as his mentor, said, to be trusted is a greater compliment than being loved. I imagine we've all seen relationships break down when trust is betrayed, and once it's broken, it can be really hard to build trust back again. And without trust, relationships simply do not function. Again, another trawl through the internet. And I actually quite like this one. It's American, so replace gas with fuel. But a relationship without trust is like a car without gas. You can stay in it as long as you want, but it won't go anywhere. The verses from Proverbs 3 that um, I'm going to walk us through this morning show us that trust is a fundamental component to our relationship with God. In Christian circles, we talk a lot about how we trust God. However, I think it's really easy to say that we trust God, but actually walking this out, actually living it, is much harder. When I was initially thinking about this talk, my thought process went something like this. Trust in God when life is going well, when we feel good, when things make sense, when our circumstances are good, well, that's easy. But trusting God when our lives don't make sense compared to all that we know of God, that's hard. But actually, as I've reflected on this, I'm not sure that that's entirely true. I do think it's easier to say we trust God when life is good. But are we actually really trusting God Or are we doing as the writer of Proverbs tells us not to do? Are we just leaning on our own understanding? Um, Because we don't need to trust. There's a part component of trust that that is um, you get to a point where you don't fully understand it, but you have to go with it. And when life's good, I think actually trusting God can be just as challenging. So I don't know where you are this morning. Um, whether you're in a place where life is good, where things are going well and you're on a metaphorical mountaintop. Or maybe you're in a valley and you have been for some time. Life's really tough and it's hard to see where God is in it. These verses today that we're going to walk through speak about trusting God in everything. And that means trusting him in good and bad times. Although I'm going to talk about how John, my husband, and I have been trying to walk this out through a really tough situation in life. I hope that what I say speaks to you wherever you currently find yourself. So just to give you a bit of background to us, um, John and I got married in 2006. And um, after three years of really happy marriage, we decided, like a lot of couples do, that the time was right. You know, we were ready to start a family. And I think as most people who 
start on this journey do. We entered it with a sense of naivety and hope. Um, And so we started the monthly cycle of hope and expectation, followed by waiting, followed by disappointment. Hope and expectation, waiting, disappointment. One month became two, became three. And um, by seven months in, I was beside myself. And as people who know me and my family will tell you, I'm not a patient person. It's not one of my virtues. Um, But in May 2010, I found out I was pregnant. We were really excited and began to cautiously think about what it would be like to be parents. At 10 weeks pregnant, I started to bleed And we had a late night trip to our local A&E where they examined me and told me it's really normal for women to bleed in early pregnancy, don't worry. But, you know, come back in the morning and we'll give you a scan and just check that everything's all right. So we went back the following morning and I will always remember being in this little room with the sonographer and the ultrasound um, machine and her turning to me and saying, I'm really sorry, but I can't find a heartbeat. And I was experiencing a missed miscarriage. I took this miscarriage really badly. Another verse um, from Proverbs that John and I have gone back to a lot through our journey is hope deferred makes the heart sick. And our hearts were sick. But we knew the statistics, one in five pregnancies end in miscarriage. We were just unfortunate. We'd keep going and maybe next time would be better. In October 2011, 15 months and a lot of prayer later... (laughs) I found out I was pregnant. This time, we really hung on to 12 weeks, and at the 12-week scan, everything looked good. So we thought, brilliant, great, you know, thank you, Lord. And I have to say that I thanked God, and I prayed for my baby on an almost daily basis. Um, Being pregnant was a real blessing. It was a time of real joy in our lives and, and excitement. We decorated a room, but we did it in neutral colors because we had decided we didn't want to know the sex of our baby. And um, I finished work. At the time, I was studying in the first year with Nigel. So I I did my first year and deferred and finished work. And we were ready. We were ready to be parents. On the 2nd of July, 2012, um, at 38, nearly 39 weeks pregnant, we went into hospital because I was worried that things weren't quite right. Um, they strapped me up to a machine that monitored the baby's heartbeat and it monitored um, my uterine contractions. The baby's heartbeat was strong um, and um, the uterine contractions showed that I was in the early stages of labour. So they said, go home, let your labour develop overnight. This was about 8 o'clock in the evening and come back when you're in established labour. Now, we live a good 45 minutes away from the hospital, so I was absolutely determined that when we went back, I was not going to be turned away again. So we got through the night, my labour progressed, and by 7 o'clock the next morning, I was having contractions every three minutes lasting more than a minute. So we were like, right, okay, go. Um, And um, when we arrived at the hospital, we were ushered into a room and um, assigned a midwife, but also a trainee midwife. And the trainee midwife began the the normal checks that you do, Um, the first one being to find the baby's heartbeat. And um, she struggled. But at that point, I wasn't worried because I knew which way around the baby had grown the whole way through pregnancy. And as far as I was concerned, she was looking in completely the wrong place. Um, I became more concerned when the senior midwife 
also couldn't find a heartbeat. And then we had a consultant ushered in with yet another ultrasound machine. And after two minutes, we were given the news that no parent ever wants to hear. The consultant turned to us and said, I'm really sorry, but your baby has died. So at 10 to 9 in the evening on the 3rd of July, 2012, our beautiful daughter Libby was born straight into the arms of Jesus. Lots of people have asked us how we felt at that moment. Um, And I have to say, I think we were both completely numb. (laughs) It was like the worst hello we've ever had, ever had. Um, There was no newborn cry. Uh, The silence was deafening. In the immediate aftermath of Libby, um, John and I talked quite a lot about um, how we weren't thrown out of a boat, but actually, we, weren't, we didn't step out of a boat, but we were thrown out of a boat into hurricane-force winds and um, struggled to know where God was and what he was doing. Um, just getting out of bed in the morning, John and I were talking about this morning, uh, in the immediate aftermath, we struggled just to get out of bed in the morning and do normal life. And I also remember thinking to myself that that's it. I'm never putting myself through this again. Uh, We'll look at other ways of having a family, but I'm not putting myself through pregnancy. However, I think the desire to have your own children is so strong that it um, overrides pretty much any fear. In our case, we also really strongly feel that God has given us a promise about having our own children. When I was pregnant with... Libby, we didn't know whether she was a boy or a girl, so we'd chosen a name for a girl and a name for a boy. And while I was in labor, knowing um, that our baby had died, John and I had a conversation about whether we'd still use the names that we had chosen. Within minutes of Libby being born, we both agreed that we stick with Libby, because Libby is a derivative of Elizabeth, which means God's promise. And we really feel that in Libby, God has promised us that we will have children. So, So to not try again would feel like giving up on God and making a decision out of fear rather than faith. So for the last two years, we've been back on the monthly cycle of uh, and journey towards having a family. And I'd love to be able to put a pretty pink bow on the story, but I can't at the moment. I have, since Libby, had three further miscarriages, two at an early stage and one at 11 weeks. And each one is devastating, and it rips the scar off losing Libby. After losing Libby, and after every subsequent loss that we've experienced since, I felt totally consumed by darkness. I felt angry, alone, rejected, abandoned. And crucially, I think we would both say, we feel like God completely betrayed our trust in him. If I'm being really honest, these feelings haven't gone away, and I still battle with them on an almost daily basis. So how on earth do we trust God when the circumstances of life seem to make trusting him so hard? As I was preparing for today, um, I love the message translation of the Bible, and I found myself drawn to the message message translation of these verses, uh, which say, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He is the one who will keep you on track. 
Don't assume you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. What I want to do now is walk us through those verses together. So to begin with, don't try to figure everything out on your own. When we go through really hard times, and I don't know what you guys have come with today, uh, whether it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, or um, just struggling with an issue in life, whether it's health, um, they, they throw up questions. For us, with everything that we've gone through, the questions are why us? Why our babies? Where is God and what is he doing? And why isn't he stopping it all? One of the things that I've found hardest through our journey is the sense of spiritual confusion. And I think it's a natural human reaction to try and make sense of things. You know, God's given us a brain. He's given us intellect and, and the ability to think rationally. But I think it's really important that when life is hard, we don't lean on our own understanding and try to figure things out on our own, but we look to God. When terrible things happen, we make the mistake of thinking that what we need from God is an explanation, that we need him to tell us why something has happened. In my case, why Libby died. Um, But actually, does an explanation help? I don't think it does, because explanations don't take the pain away. The pain for us comes from the fact that we've lost Libby and we've lost other babies. If, we had, if God could explain it to us in a way that our human minds could understand, and I'm, I'm not sure he could, <laughs> it wouldn't take the pain away because it wouldn't bring Libby back. And God knows that. And actually, that's the biblical testimony too. If you read the Bible, God rarely answers the why questions. So if you read Job, Job throws out a whole load of questions to God. And when God turns up, he doesn't answer the why questions. What Job gets is an experience of God. God tells Job who he is and what he has done, which leads Job in chapter 42 to say, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job never gets an explanation for why he has suffered. But what he does get is an incredible experience of God, which means that his questions are, they don't matter anymore. And I think this is an important point. See, God knows that we don't need explanation, we need experience. We need to experience his presence, his comfort, his love and his grace through all that we walk through. And by constantly questioning God, we rob ourselves of experiencing that intimacy with God. So hard as it is, we do need to learn to park the why questions. I always joke that when I get to heaven, I'm going to have to sit down with God and go, right, (laughs) now can I have answers to these questions? But actually, I think in all seriousness, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to be so amazed by it that the questions won't matter anymore. So having parked the why questions, um, 
the writer of Proverbs goes on to talk about listening for God, looking for God in everything, and running to him away from evil. And I think this is really practical advice about how we build trust. So if you think about any other relationship in life, the way we build trust with someone is to get to know them, to spend time with them, to learn about them. And it's exactly the same with God. When life gets tough, it can be really hard to press into God, to spend more time with him. Um, I found it particularly hard in the early days after Libby died because I was so angry with him. I didn't want to spend time with him. But I think too often, when the storms of life come, we spend too much time focusing on the evil, on the darkness, on the waves, as we've sung in lots of the worship songs this morning. We focus on the stuff that's wrong, and we try and work it all out for ourselves. We lean on our own understanding. This means that life becomes really narrow because we become, we become totally focused on the issue in front of us. For us, for John and I, life can become all about clinics and doctors and the fact that we don't yet have another child and what's our strategy, our next strategy for making this happen. For other people, it might be that life narrows to I need to make ends meet financially every month. But in this place... We spend our time worrying, being anxious and fearful, and we can end up completely stressed out. And this isn't life. It's just existing. And it's certainly not the life and life in all its fullness that Jesus promises us. When we focus on the darkness, we run the risk of being completely consumed by it. And I think the devil, well, I know the devil wants us to stay in this place because when we get to this place, we lose hope. And without hope, we're basically done for. The devil wants us to start to believe lies, lies about who God is, that maybe he doesn't love us as much as we think he does, or maybe he isn't powerful enough to rescue us from it. And when we do that, life closes in. We've sung um, Oceans this morning, which is one of my favorite worship songs at the moment, and it talks about not focusing on the waves. One of the stories that um, the Lord has used really powerfully with me through our journey is the story of Peter walking on water, which um, is in Matthew 14. Um, in this story, the powerful thing for me has been, well, two things. First of all... Um, I used to think, when I, you know, when I thought about the story, that, that Peter got out on a completely calm lake. Um, but that's actually not what the story tells us. Peter got out in the middle of a storm. And as long as he focused on Jesus, he walked on the water. The story tells us that it's only when he noticed the wind that he began to sink. And I think that's key we need to keep our focus on Jesus resolutely and defiantly, actually, when life is really hard. There's a beautiful old hymn that I play quite a lot, just the chorus of it, that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's so true. When we lift our heads to look at Jesus... 
It's not that the circumstances, you know, magically disappear, but we gain a new perspective. We see those circumstances in the light of Jesus and all that he is and all that he's promised us that he will be for us. So what does running to God actually look like in practice? You know, at the beginning I talked about it's easy to say we trust God, um, but actually how do we walk that out in practice? So for the next few minutes, I just want to talk about some things that um, I found helpful as we've walked through our journey. And I'd like to say that I don't get this right all the time. This is a daily, if not hourly, discipline for me. Um, and I don't do it in my own strength. This is all about the Lord. All that God requires of us is that we turn to him, that we turn back to him. And then he, in his grace, promises to give us all that we need to strengthen, sustain us and grace us. So the first thing I want to say is that when you're going through a tough time and you're trying to trust the Lord in it, spend time with the right people. Psalm 1 gives some really practical advice about what to do when we're trying to trust God more. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. There's a progression in that, isn't there? You don't walk in step with the wrong people, you don't stand with them, and you don't sit down with them. And one of the things I learned very early on in our journey were who were the right people for me to spend time with and who were not. We need to seek out people who will build our faith, who will encourage us, who will strengthen us to keep going, who will be our cheerleaders, essentially. Um, and some people can do that and some people can't. Um, we need to make sure that we have a good community of people around us. That's church, but it's also your small groups. And actually, having one or two friends who are prepared to walk the journey with you for as long as it takes. And I have to say that for me, the law provided the community of WTC when we lost um, Libby. So the first decision I made really after losing Libby was that I would go back and complete my second year with WTC. And um, God provided the most amazing community of people who just allowed me to be. Um, and didn't actually, see, they didn't see me as a project, which is really key. You know, when you're going through something really awful, you don't want people about who are trying to fix you. You just want people who will hang about with you, who will encourage you to stay focused on the Lord and to keep walking. So that's number one, spend time with the right people. Number two, spend time in God's word. Psalm 1 goes on to say that rather than spending time with the wrong people, we should delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. If we do this, the promise in Psalm 1 is that we will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and its leaves do not wither. When we're going through desert experiences, it can be really hard to spend time reading the Bible. Personally, for me, in the immediate aftermath of losing Libby, the last thing I wanted to do was open my Bible. And I'd actually get really cross with well-meaning Christian people who'd send me verses that they think would help. <laughs> um, but very quickly, I realized that the only times that I felt in any way better were when I did turn back to God. And um, 
I'm really sorry, I don't know your name, the guy who led worship, Sam. But you talked about how, you know, with the lock, we can come to the Lord, whatever. And I think that's really important, that we can come to God with all our anger, with all our pain. Um, And actually, he wants us to. It's part of being in authentic relationship with him. So when I learned that, and when I learned that I I could just come as I was... It was like the difference between being, being a tree planted in the middle of the desert that just withers and dies and a tree that's found an oasis in the desert that can survive the heat of the desert because it's tapped into a water source. Just as trees flourish best near water, we flourish best near the provider of living water, Jesus. Trusting God means meditating on all the promises in the Bible about who God is, reminding ourselves of the truth regardless of how we might feel, that he is loving, that he is faithful, that he is powerful, good and compassionate. And for me, it was particularly important to remind myself of all the times in the Bible where God promises us that he'll never leave or forsake us and that he won't allow us to be overwhelmed by our circumstances. Thirdly, spend time in worship and um, prayer. Um, When we were praying before the service, uh, we were asking the Lord for particular words that he'd like to, um, that he, you know, he wants to minister into. And um, one of the things I woke up with this morning was um, the importance of lament and that lament is actually a form of worship. And I think we've lost the ability to lament well as a modern church. Um, I, as part of WTC, we run monthly live Google Hangouts where we discuss different topics each month. And a few months ago, we talked about what do we lose if we lose lament? And we had Brian Dirksen join us. And he told this really powerful story about going to a Romanian orphanage just after the Iron Curtain had come down. And there were rows and rows and rows of cots with little babies, but it was completely silent. And these babies had learnt not to cry. And they'd learnt not to cry because crying made no difference. If they cried, no one came to pick them up. So they learnt not to. And I think, you know, that's an important image for us. Are we children who think that our Heavenly Father is going to ignore us when we cry out so we won't? Or do we actually believe in a God who promises us that when we cry out... He not only hears our cries, but he answers them. And I think that's a really important image for us, actually, that, that it's, it's not just okay to cry out to, to God and to tell him all the things that are wrong, but it's actually what he wants from us and that he will respond to us. The other thing about worship that's really important is that, again, it refocuses us. It takes us away from our our immediate circumstance, and back onto God and all that he is. Um, And when that happens, we gain perspective again. But there's another important thing about worship and prayer. I think sometimes we can think, you know, we can be too focused on the fact that worship and prayer is all about changing us and our attitude. Um, And we forget that actually there's something much bigger going on when we pray and when we worship, and that there that it changes things in the heavenly and spiritual realms. When we worship, when we pray, particularly 
when circumstances of life are not good. You know, that was the devil's charge against God in Job, was that people only worship you because you're good to them. If you're not, they'll stop worshipping you. So it's part of our act of defiance, um, and it's part of spiritual warfare to stand up and say, I choose, like blessed be your name, the song we sang earlier says, circumstances of my life are not great, <laughs> to say the least, but I choose to say that you are still good, that you have good plans for me, that you are powerful. And actually, to keep going, you know, sometimes breakthrough, it can take years and we have to press in and press on and keep going. The devil would love us to give up. And the final one I want to talk about is the importance of giving thanks. Recently, I read Anne Voskamp's book, um, A Thousand Reasons, which in it she talks about being dared by a friend to write a list of a thousand things for which she was thankful. She talks really powerfully about how this has helped her to live life in the moment and to experience joy. In the book, she talks about the fact that the Greek word for thanksgiving is eucharisteo. Um, it's the word that Jesus uses uh, in the description of the Last Supper in the Gospels when he takes bread and gives thanks. Um, and obviously, for good Anglicans, it's the word from which we get Eucharist. But what Anne talks about really powerfully in her book is that contained within the word Eucharisteo is the Greek word for grace, which is charis. But more than this, the Greek word for joy, kara, is derived from charis. So in thanksgiving, you have this beautiful flow. Thanksgiving leads to an awareness again of grace. When we give thanks to God for all that he has given us, for all that he is and all that he has done for us, we become aware of his grace again. And as we become aware of his grace, it leads to joy. It's a really powerful tool for experiencing joy in the moment, wherever you are. I was so challenged by this book that I've now started my own gratitude journal, which I keep by my bedside. Um, and I try and write at least three things each day for which I'm thankful. I can't say I do it every day, but and the, you know the days when it's been really tough life-wise, this can be really hard to do. But I have to say, every time I've done it, it naturally leads to prayer and worship, and it naturally get, leads to a refocus, refocusing and a new perspective. And the practice of gratitude is rooted in Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. I think what's crucial there is that to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. We mustn't make the mistake of thinking that all our circumstances are willed by God because they're not. We don't have to be thankful for all circumstances because some of, a lot of what we experience is just evil. It's not. It's part of the brokenness of this world. But we can still give thanks in those circumstances uh, because God is still good, loving, faithful, powerful, um, and he still has good plans for us. So going back to the Proverbs, um, just to finish off, what are the rewards of trusting God? Um, the meaning of the Hebrew word for trust, bakhtar, 
is um, to have confidence, to be bold, to feel safe, to be careless. Um, When I read this, I had this picture of a sleeping baby that's strapped securely on its mother's back, um, like like African mothers would do with their children. This baby feels totally safe and secure, and as a result, they're carefree. They know that their mother has got them, that their mother's there, and the mother is not going to drop them. Deuteronomy um, 33, verse 12, says, Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders, which fits with that picture of being held securely between God's shoulders. This chapter in Deuteronomy is the chapter where later you get the promise that the eternal God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. This is such a beautiful picture of intimacy and trust and it's what our Heavenly Father wants for us. One of the other rewards of trusting God is that he promises us that when we trust him, we will receive his peace. And it's not... um, It's the peace that passes understanding. And I think too often we make the mistake of thinking that peace is a place. So if I go to a beach on a a quiet evening and there's a beautiful sunset, I'll feel at peace. But actually the Bible tells us that peace isn't a place, it's a person. Peace is Jesus and being close to Jesus. And when we're close to Jesus, we can experience peace that passes understanding because we can be at peace in the middle of a storm When everything is raging around us, we can experience God's peace and presence. As well as promising peace, the the proverb that we're looking at says that your body will glow with health, your very bones will vibrate with life. Isn't that a picture of living in the spirit? Isn't that what God wants for us? Um, One of the key verses for me from very early after Libby died is Jeremiah 17.7, which says, um, Blessed is the person who trusts in God, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. Trusting God means that we can be fruitful whatever season we're in. One of the key messages from the European Leaders Conference this week is that our culture is desperately in need of wisdom. They need people to show them how to do life well. And we, we have access to wisdom The Lord promises us in James 1 that if anyone needs wisdom, we're to ask God and he gives graciously to all. And that wisdom is about how to navigate well through life, whatever life throws at you. And I think it's particularly important in dark times. People, I know that our friends who are not Christians have been watching John and I really closely as we've walked this journey. And that actually... um, how we've navigated it speaks far louder than anything we could actually say to them. So as I finish, um, I just want to come back to one of the other meanings of trust is boldness. Um, When we trust God, when we're confident that he is all he says he is, 
this gives us boldness to step out. And actually, a key part of trust is once you've worked out whether you think a person is trustworthy, it's actually taking that step of faith and choosing to trust them. And when we do that with the Lord, we find that he is faithful, that we can trust him. As I said earlier, um, over the last few years, John and I often talk about how rather than stepping out of a boat, we've been flung out of a boat. Um, But just as Jesus rescued Peter when he began to sink, we have seen how Jesus has rescued us from drowning. He has comforted, sustained and strengthened us to keep going. We've seen the truth that his grace really is sufficient to get us through all that life brings. And holding on to this allows me to keep walking and to trust God with the future. So you might be here today and you feel like that. You feel like you're in the middle of a stormy sea and you're really working out. You're You're wrestling with God, trying to work out how do I trust you? How do I keep going through this circumstance in my life? But actually, maybe you're here today and metaphorically, you're in the boat. Life is actually okay. Um, It's comfortable. And I think we need to be careful of comfort. I think comfort can anaesthetize us. And um, I think it was John Wimber, wasn't it? He said that faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. Um, Now, that's not reckless risk. If you go back to the story of Peter walking on water, before he gets out the boat, he says to Jesus, if it's you, call me and I'll come. We need to be careful that we're doing that. But faith, what Jesus invites us into, is an adventure. It's exciting, but it can also be scary. But it's only out of the boat that we actually learn to trust God because we see that he is trustworthy. He demonstrates that. And, you know, in the story of Peter walking on the water, where is Jesus? Jesus isn't in the boat. He's on the water. So we sang the ocean song um, earlier, and I just want to close with that, that line that says, Spirit, would you lead me where my trust is without borders? Would Would you help me to walk upon the waters wherever you would lead me? Catherine, thank you for sharing with us so honestly. And thank you for reminding us of the truth of the Bible. It's given us, I don't know about you, but it's certainly given me a lot to think about and a lot to to mull on. And why don't we now just stand? Guys can lead us in a song of worship. And then we're going to have some time to respond afterwards. Because it may be that you are in a situation where you need to choose to trust God in a very practical way. It may be actually that you feel like you are in the boat and you want to say, yes, God, I want to to get out on the water again. So let's worship together and then we're going to have some time to respond.
Jesus. Jesus, we declare that truth, that you are mighty to save and that you have conquered the grave. And Nicole's just shared a picture about some um, people who have bonds, bands of death around their head. And, and death, thoughts of death are anything that contradict the truth of who God is and what he says. And so if that's you today, if you feel that you're struggling to sing out or speak out some of the truths that we've been singing today, then why don't you just now say, God, I choose to believe the truth. You might want to even say that out loud. I choose to believe the truth of who you are and what you say, regardless of my circumstances and my situation. We're just going to wait for a moment. Guys, would you just like to continue playing, Sam, as we um, just work out how God wants us to, to respond this morning? I just wanted to share uh, a word with you. Um, as I was praying about this morning um, and asking the Lord what he wanted to do, I found myself up on Whitehorse Hill, which is the highest point around where we live, and looking out across, I don't know how many counties you're meant to be able to see, but quite a few. And I, I just had a sense that the Lord wants to restore vision and perspective, um, that for people who have been battling a circumstance for a long time that the Lord just wants you to be able to lift your head again um, that there might be a sense that you have begun to believe the lies that he is not with you that he doesn't love you and that he's not powerful enough to break through in your circumstance and God just wants to come against that this morning and restore to you the truth of who he is so that your life, rather than becoming, rather than narrowing in, you can lift your head again and be given the vision, the big vision that the Lord wants you to have. And when Catherine was speaking earlier, I was really struck by the fact that sometimes we ask, you know, we want to have an explanation for our circumstances. And actually what we need is an experience of God. And if that is you today, God is here and he wants to meet you. He wants to connect with you. And there's an opportunity for that in the next few moments too. And then the other thing that I was struck by too is that sometimes it's just good to, to make a decision and to, to stand up and remind ourselves and the, the heavenly forces that we're going to choose. We're going to stand for God. We're going to get out of the boat. We're going to follow God, whether we're in a difficult situation or whether things seem easy at the moment. And so can I invite you to respond? Um, there is plenty of space at the front. And if you'd like to, to come forward and respond, either to what Catherine has just said about, um, <laughs> about restoring vision and kind of getting your eyes fixed back on God, or you want to come out and you feel like you need to experience God, where you're looking for an explanation, you actually want to experience God, or you want to choose and say, yeah, I'm going to step out the boat. If any of those things kind of relate to you now and you'd like to respond, why don't you come forward and have some of our guys who are in small groups and are used to praying with people, you come forward too, please. So why don't you move now if you'd like to respond to any of those things. And also it may be today that you've never actually chosen to follow Jesus. You don't know him as the guy who can, is with you in every circumstance. And if that is you, then we would love to introduce you to him today. 
you can come and choose to give your life to him and know this life in all its fullness whatever situation looks like a few more ladies to come forward and pray please the great unknown where feet may fail and there I find you in the mystery in oceans deep my faith will stand and I eyes above the waves when oceans rise my soul will rest in your embrace for I am you are mine so if you've responded and you've come forward and there isn't anyone praying with you at the minute don't let that worry you for now here primarily to meet with God if there are one or two other folks who can pray if you'd like to come that would be great there are two or three ladies and one or two guys the grace abounding deepest waters the sovereign
I'm not afraid. 